Just a quick warning that we're going to be talking about flying, falling, working for an airline, death, photography, light to heavy religious themes, alcoholism, and obviously existentialism. So if you're not in the right headspace for that, then maybe just skip these next few episodes. everyone and welcome to another episode of A Hopeless Endeavor. We are a Joanna Newsom lyrical podcast. My name is Sam. My name is Nikki and guess the fuck what? <laughs> what? Well, we're covering a pin light bent today. <laughs> Which for me is so exciting because I can't get over this song. It was the first song that popped out to me on Divers that I mm. lost my mind about. It's a big one. It's part of like the sandwich at the end of the album that we've talked a lot about. This like run of three songs. Um, but itself, we were just talking about this. It's 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 pretty short. A Pinlight Bent is only four minutes and 26 seconds long. It feels really big, but in fact is not. Yeah, exactly. It feels colossal to me. It feels like this big statement piece on the album. And then I was looking just now and there's only five verses. Yeah. Like what? We're going to we're going to have like two episodes about this song. <laughs> just kidding. That probably <laughs> won't be the case, but it's crazy. Uh, I feel like it deserves so much discussion I don't know it's just it feels bigger than it is it does and I'm also holding on tight to this album because I don't really know what to do with myself once once this is over I like, know it's we've been so talking sad. about divers for a long time has it been a year like when did I we... bet it's been very close to a year I don't remember talking about me. no that's so <laughs> far gone Okay, so before we actually get into things, I just wanted to take a second here to thank our listeners, Rebecca and Cole, both of whom have submitted really excellent, insightful uh, emails that we get into on the most recent bonus episode on Patreon, bonus episode 25. So our Patreon is linked in the show notes if you want to check that out. But yeah, regardless, thank you so much to Rebecca and Cole. Okay, now a pin light bent baby. I know that this song is a favorite of uh, other people too because I remember being surprised about this like going on Apple Music and seeing that like you know how do you ever use Apple Music Sam? Uh, yep. So you know how there's sometimes like a little star next mm -hmm. to like the most played songs mm -hmm. there was I, I don't know if this is still true but I remember way back when going and listening to it and there being a little star next to a pin light bent and a little star next to anecdotes and that's it. And I was like, that's like a weird coupling of songs to be the two most popular songs off the album. But there you have it. Interesting. Is that what the star means that they're popular? You know, I've always just assumed that. I don't think I actually know that. That's just I been my assumption. Cause like, where, why else would you put a star? I think I assumed that it was like singles. Like, Oh, like people, what people release. Yeah, but she didn't release a pin light bent. No. She like released divers. No, and fair point. Yeah. Mm. Um. So yeah, but I know it's it's popular and it's so not bare, but like yeah, actually bare. <laughs> mm. Like 
instrumentally, there's just that like haunting, like doobie 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 doobie, you know? Yes. So because you mentioned the doobie doobie do, <laughs> I will um, let everyone know that we are not quite sure when we're going to include it. I'm, we're thinking probably later. Um, near the end of these episodes, but we have been blessed with an incredible voice memo from Jack. Um, and the reason that we're thinking of including it later is because it's quite long. Um, but I also think it'll wrap up our discussion really nicely. Um, and one of the things that Jack mentions about this song is um, that he refers to that dupa dupa do um, those notes, which are A and C notes, as a, a drone. Um, yes. that move through most most of the song um, so we will probably talk more about those types of things thanks to Jack but um, yeah I think that's a really important musical element in this it one. feels to me it feels to me so much like almost like a heartbeat like just this oh. like constant underlying thing that you like can sometimes lose track of because of the rest of the shit that's going on. But it's like this, like very much like it, it propels the song forward. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So we'll talk about that a little bit later probably, but, but that is just such a striking element. I think of this song, it's just like very in contrast with also like the lowness of it is kind of in contrast with the rest Mm. of the album. And also particularly with like, you will not take my heart alive just finished. And like, that's the highest notes I've ever heard in my life. And then all of a sudden it's just this yeah. big contrasting, like doobo doobo doobo. <laughs> yeah. That's such a good point. I, I like it as a heartbeat. I like it as like a ticking clock or something too oh. with the themes of the album. Um, oh, I love that. But I didn't think of like where we, where we came from compared to how we start here, which we probably should think a little bit more about um also i just checked and we did our first divers episode an overview episode came out almost exactly a year ago uh may 28th really? yeah oh shit so by the time may we're 28th. done we'll have done just over a year oh my god i'm gonna miss divers so much it's ugh, whatever i can't even talk about it i'm gonna get too sad um, thankfully the, the symbolism and references happening in time as a symptom are fucking endless. So we might just have 17 parts on time as a symptom and then we can stretch it out for as long <laughs> as possible until some new stuff comes out. But, um, mm. no, we need to do a milk eyed vendor too. Yeah, it's just I that in my head, it's just, I, I don't, I think I read somewhere a statement of hers to the effect, to this effect that a milk eyed mender is less like laden with like direct references and she was more just like playful with words even though there are some references in there Mm -hmm. and so I feel less like justified in doing crazy deep dives into it but of course we're gonna do that still yeah well I mean yeah I think that's very fair it's fair to be a little a little iffy about it but I think we'd feel that regardless even if it was the new album come out we'd have a little bit of nerves there yeah, and it's still just <coughs> divers. Divers is so good. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, a pin light bent. Where does this song fall for you in the ranking, Sam? I know that you love this sandwich of songs, the last three songs. Yeah, it has one of my favorite verses of all time. 
um, which is the sky over the ocean to an electric and alone. Um, that's like gospel. I love <laughs> that, that verse so, so much. Um, yeah. And I think it just fits really well into that lovely little sandwich at the end of the album. Um, that's inseparable for me. How about you? Yeah, it's, it's way up there for me. It's one of my favorites and it's so, it makes me kind of emotional a lot of times too, when I listen to it, especially, uh, well, yeah, just with these like very big themes, it's very directly grappling well, I, I don't want to say directly, but like to me, it feels like a more direct grappling with death than, well, I was going to say than we get otherwise on this album, but a lot of this album is grappling directly with death. But I don't know. There's just something very bare and stripped down about this song to me that, that speaks to my soul. It does feel like a very straightforward attempt to kind of explain what's happening both in life and in death, in death through like a really clear example of someone who died in an awful way so yes and there's there's this not to get too far ahead of ourselves but there's this what I think is like this theme of of oneness and of um our lives being sort of illusory in a way that that I can make sense of in a way that I can't exactly make sense of with other songs so like throughout this album I want to say like there's these themes of like circularity and Mm -hmm. and endlessness and like our lives never really being over but those concepts to me still feel kind of amorphous even even though I know that there are those themes going on like I can't quite like intellectualize how to understand what it means for our lives to be endless because I'm so enmeshed enmeshed in this reality where like no there's a straight up beginning and an end and like that's all there is to it mm-hmm. like it's harder for me to to just conceptualize what it means for our lives to be endless in a way that I think a lot of this album is putting forward but with this song there's something about the idea of our existences just being illusions just being these little pinholes um there's something easier for me to understand about that. I was looking for like sound bites or little quotes uh, from like uh, different interviews and media about this song. And there's this interview by Kevin or this uh, article in the independent by Kevin Harley from 2015, where they call a pin light bent, a poised lament for fleeting life. And I really liked that. It is a a really lovely song, but there's a lot going on. Yeah, there is a lot going on. And a lot of references that might not have been obvious uh, at first listen, or at least weren't to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how do we do this? Do we get into it? Do we talk about Françoise de Marière? Do we uh, yeah. talk about James Dickey? Yeah, I think what we should we start there and kind of like lay lay some background for what's happening. Um, the best place to start when you do that, as always, is blessing all the birds. Um, I like to, if I can, start my research there because there's always so many um, links to click and places to go and trails to follow um, from Melissa and Rachel's ideas. 
Um, and the first place that they take you when you read Delving Into Divers, A Pin Like Bent, is both... Oh, can you say her name again? Because you're going to say it beautifully. Françoise Desmarières. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, and uh, who is the, the subject of James L. Dickey's poem, Falling, um, but who also uh, had a very tragic death. Um, I really like to find the original like newspaper cuttings from this. So I'm going to read that just for some background. Can I just pause for a second? Just because I, I myself had a, like a moment where I was like, Hey, wait, I've seen, I saw blessing all the birds uh, make this connection. And then I saw somebody else too. I forget. And I think probably on genius where people were like, look, she's referencing Françoise de Marrière and her fall from an airplane. Uh, and then this Dicky poem. And so I like did all the research into that. And then I was like, wait a second. Why is she like, what part of this song mm. in what part of this song is she actually doing that referencing? And it's more subtle than you might think. So there's actually like, you could debate that, that she's being referenced at all. I think because mm. all that we get is, I think sh- short flight free descent poor flight attendant right Mm -hmm. um and so i just wanted to make clear um just for our listeners in case you didn't know why she's being referenced there i think it's a pretty good uh assumption to make because i mean she's like a famous flight attendant who fell to her death from a plane so i think it's like a safe reference i just yeah i just wanted to make clear why we think that 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 this might be alluding to her yeah and I I like when I first listened to this album I think I had a really hard time without knowing the background like knowing where that was coming from like why uh, like you know we talked about John Proy Mitchell in Sepa Conigan. we had that person falling to the ground from flight um, but then I like I also didn't have that reference the first few times so like why specifically are we mentioning a flight attendant why are they a poor flight attendant why like in in the context of like just listening to the album with no background what are you talking about yeah why are we talking about flight attendants yeah like what yeah exactly totally so i i think i went there first because i was like the like the fuck are you talking about why (laughs) why that like okay without the reference to de Marriere, i was thinking that like the flight attendant could just be a metaphor well maybe we'll get into it when we actually get into the verse but remind me to talk about how flight attendant could be a metaphor in that second verse mm-hmm. <laughs> okay so okay this this death that we're talking about um of can you say her name again i'm just gonna get you to say it every time De Marriere. You can mm-hmm. say it. Yeah. You're good at French. Um, so she... Th- so this is from the New York Times article in what year? 1962. October 20th, 1962. Um, the article is titled, Stewardess is Swept Through Plain Door. So this is happening in Windsor Locks, Connecticut. October 19th. A 29-year-old stewardess fell 1,500 feet to her death tonight when she was swept through an emergency door that suddenly sprang open on an Allegheny Airlines plane. 
the craft was approaching Bradley Field here for a landing. A second stewardess was saved when she was grabbed by two fat passengers. Her body was found near Red Oak Hill Road outside the town of Farmington three hours after the accident. The accident occurred on this kind of plane, whatever. The pilot, Harold Gould of Washington, radioed the airport at 8.50 uh, that he was having trouble with a rear door. Two minutes later, he sent another terse message that the stewardess had been ejected, in quotes. Oh, my God. The emergency door was found to be intact but damaged when the plane landed at the airport. A rear stabilizer was also damaged. He said that she had investigated and found the door was loose. She and another crew member, Mr. Max, stuffed a pillow into the door to keep it from rattling. A few minutes later, he said there was a thunderous noise and she was swept out of the plane. A second stewardess, Kathy Lacey of Washington, was in the lavatory when the door blew open. A rush of air ripped off the lavatory door, but two uh, male passengers grabbed Miss Lacey and saved her from getting pulled off the plane, from being pulled off of the plane. Um, so the stewardess we're talking about was French, the airline said, and had lived in Washington. She had worked there for 18 months. And then it says just a little bit about her family. So her body was found by Robert Swingle, who lives near the sparsely populated town of Farbington. Mr. Swingle said he had heard reports of the accident on television. He went outside, he said, and found a pillow near the road and her body was nearby. So all in all, a pretty horrifying way to go. Oh my god. It is that description is so haunting that like there was a rattle at the door and she was just doing her fucking like mundane yes. job and like she's like oh just like shove a pillow into the door and then it rips off the plane sucking her out so that she can fall a gajillion miles to her death like it's not it's the stuff of nightmares. It is absolutely the stuff of nightmares and yeah, the worst nightmares. Not something you think about when you think about flying or, like, working on an airline. <laughs> oh, my God. I think about that all the time when I'm on a plane. I'm so afraid of the door being ripped open. Yeah. I Like, I know that that... I'm not even a nervous flyer, but all the time when I see those doors, like, at the front of the, of the cabin, I always... I think I was told something about it as a little girl, that, like, if the door were to open, that you'd get, like, sucked out because of the pressure changes, and it just, like, stuck with me, and just it forever... I just... I, I'm, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid of that. <laughs> and then that the other woman was in the fucking bathroom and the door to the bathroom rips off like and and that she starts going towards the door and two dudes have to grab her to, like oh my god oh and then it also says two similar incidents occurred last september in argentina when two stewardesses were killed in separate mishaps in both right. cases the cabin doors of two british built arvo 748 turboprop planes blew off at relatively low altitudes so that begs the question, like, hmm, someone should probably have done something about that. Like, that seems like a risk that's not worth, <laughs> not worth, worth taking. It seems like a pretty serious defect to your planes. Make the doors a bit stronger. How about? It feels so like, I, I don't know what the uh, non-religious analogy to this is, but like, if you were a person who believed in God, it feels so like God just like plucking one person out from the universe and saying yes. your time to die and like yes you know like 
did you ever play Roller Coaster Tycoon? Oh my god, did I ever? <laughs> of course you did. Yes. So like you know how you can just like pick up people and like swing yes. them and then like drop. Yeah, it feels like mm-hmm. God or the universe picked up a person, swung them off the plane, and just like watched them fall. Like your turn. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. I love that. <laughs> And it would bring the whole score of your park down. So I, but I don't think, I wonder how much it impacted the airlines themselves. Yeah. I mean, it was a flight <clears throat> attendant and not a passenger. And so she's yeah. more like forgettable or like less relatable to mm-hmm. uh, a clientele of the airline, which I think is actually going to be somewhat important, especially when we compare this song to Sapo um, mm. that she was a flight attendant and a woman and doing yep. her job. Yep. Um, Okay, so horrifying situation. And it seems as though a poet, uh, James L. Dickey, also was very haunted by this story, by this uh, occurrence. And he wrote a little poem, didn't he, Sam? He wrote a very long poem. Yeah, it's not it a poem at all. It is incredibly long. Did um, you read the whole thing? I did read the whole thing and I picked out some parts of it that I felt were um, like especially beautiful or like fit really well with the themes. But I don't think we should read the entire thing here. Dude, I did the same thing where I picked out parts of it. (gasps) I was like, I can't we can't read this all. So I'm so curious to see what parts you picked. Okay, Um, let's take turns. Okay, go first. So the first part that I have, I'm not sure where in the poem this falls but also just side note, just a couple comments about the poem before I actually read the, mm. um, not the lyrics, the, the verses. Uh, I thought, I'm curious about your thoughts about this too, Sam. I thought mm. it was an absolutely beautiful poem. It gives this like vivid, long ass description of the fall uh, of this flight attendant, which I think is really haunting in its own way that it's a really long description because it Mm -hmm. makes it seem like the actual fall itself would be just excruciatingly long and and the way that that morphs uh both ours as the reader's perspective Mm -hmm. of time and de Maurier's perspective of time I think is Mm -hmm. really interesting I thought it was super beautifully written there were like parts that stabbed me in the heart Mm-hmm. I also thought it was pretty sexist. Oh my and weird. god! <laughs> there, you know, you're reading along, you're reading along, you're like, "Wow, shit's fucked up." And then he starts talking about her body and her breasts and how she's undressing herself and she's get, like getting closer to the ground, and you're like, "Oh, okay, so this isn't just like an outside perspective." Oh, what death? You just wanted to have like a sexy falling time for a little while. Okay. So it's I 100% so agree with you. He just like, he's just like, uh, like, oh, but what if, what if it was sexy? And it's like, but why? Yes. But <laughs> what why? is sexy about it's this? Like, I don't understand. It's like beautiful, not genderless. Cause I thought at the beginning of the poem when I was reading it, that like gender factors into it in this like you have to be a flight attendant way. So you have like your stockings on and you have like your sure. whatever uniform on, but it's so beautiful. It's so poignant. It's grappling with death. And then all of a sudden her hand is between her legs. Like what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. It's so weird. But so it's very yeah. much a male perspective of 
um, like like a wet dream or something. Yeah. Like you saw yeah. this article, you skipped over the humanity of it, you skipped over like the tragedy of it, and your brain went straight to, um, how can I make this cool for me? Well, that's the thing that I found really confusing was that he didn't quite skip over the humanity and the tragedy because, oh my God, I felt so much no, humanity right. in the descriptions <clears throat> of the earlier parts. But then it's like he erases what he did by including... That's a better word. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? But it, like, if that was just cut from the poem, I think it would be so good. But it's in there. So okay, we have to let you guys know. <laughs> Before we read it, he does describe the poem himself. So maybe th oh. this is his interpretation of it. So he says, um, falling is a, is a record of the way she feels as she falls. Panic at first, and then a kind of goddess-like invulnerability. She discovers that the human body can actually fly a little bit. She tries to find water to fall into, but in the end she can't and falls into a cornfield and dies there. She undresses on the way down because she's go if she's going to die, she wants to die, she says, beyond explanation. She would rather be found naked in a cornfield than in an airline uniform. So she takes everything off, is clean, purely desirable, purely woman, and dies in that way. I also tried to think of the mystical possibility that there might be farmers in that vicinity under those conditions. Um, I almost yeah. got behind it when you were describing, like, he was like, like, I'm like, oh, maybe like she wants to be stripped of her flight attendant uniform because she doesn't want to be like a worker. She doesn't want to be fucking airline purely by her last moments. I get yes. that. Great. Sure. Totally. But then he's like, but then she can just be purely desirable. Like, shut up. <laughs> because that's the only motivation exactly. in life, that's right? That's what the women essentially are. Desirable yeah. objects that fall from this guy. Like, okay, enough. What an interesting interpretation, too. That's what women, women are. Purely desirable objects that fall from the sky. And that's what makes me feel like it's his, like sexy dream that he's like yeah. oh farmers would love if this yes. happened what a blessing to have breasts and stockings fall from the sky right into your lap get the fuck That's, out of here get the fuck out of here yeah no good at all no. so we're gonna just well, I was going to say we're going to ignore that going forward. But if we have more to say about it, I think we should say it because that's, yeah. it's just it's strikingly. But there was awful. there were some some cool some cool lines. Yeah, really beautiful. OK, so here's the um, first little part that I had. The first little ec excerpt. I always have trouble with the word excerpt, but here's the, the first little excerpt. Yeah. OK, so. She is black out finding herself with the plane nowhere and her body taken by the throat. The undying cry of the void, falling, living, beginning to be something that no one has ever been and lived through, screaming without enough air, still neat, lipsticked, stockinged, girdled by regulation, her hat still on, her arms and legs in no world, and yet spaced also strangely, with utter placid rightness on thin air, taking her time. She holds it in many places, and now, still thousands of feet from her death, she seems to slow. She develops interest. She turns in her maneuverable body. That's the first bit I had. Yeah. Just because it was so it. fucking beautiful. Yeah. That line, I, he does something that I think... Uh, Joanna also does too, which is like take words and turn them into verbs. 
that she is like lipsticked and stockinged and like that 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 was like an action i think is really cool girdled by regulation just like yeah okay yes Um, yeah which is like oh this is like exactly you could like almost get on board with uh yeah her stripping her flight attendant's uniform just strip herself of that regulation this like external externally imposed force but no he mm -hmm. makes it sexual i had parts of that pulled out too i also had from the first verse just somewhere in the vast beast whistle of space wow Mm, that's a cool description so good yes yeah that was so good very waltzy okay what's the next stuff you have she is hung high up in the overwhelming middle of things in herself in low body whistling wrapped intensely in all her dark dance weight coming down from a marvelous leap with the delaying dumbfounding ease of a dream being drawn like an endless moonlight to the harvest soil oh my god why didn't i pull that verse that's perfect that's so beautiful Oh, yeah. And so throughout this poem, there's this like really cool. um, uh, He constantly references like the harvest and the crops and like Mm -hmm. this like fertile land beneath Mm -hmm. that's sort of like coming up to her almost. Um, She's like warmed by this like harvest. And I don't even know what to make of that other than it seems to me to be relevant to themes on time as a symptom where there's like like crops and agriculture, but then also like, um, leaving the city. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's just something about like the abundance of earth and like the like offering up of like sustenance from earth. That's going to be the thing that kills her like upon her impact with it. There's something poetic about that, that I can't exactly put my finger on, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think for me, it's also like the returning to that fertileness that yes, like she totally. is heading towards her death and she will be buried and she will be part of that system. Oh yes. Excellent Sam. Great. Um, great putting your finger on it. <laughs> okay. Um, I probably copied and pasted too much, but there's just so much that I wanted to, uh, to read here, but we get me- mentions of divers. So uh, the next thing I have is my God, it is good and evil lying in one after another of of all the positions for love, making, dancing, sleeping, and now cloud wisps at her no raincoat, which reminded me so much of her I have the no same part for the bad cold. <laughs> Yay! Okay, good. We did it. We overlapped. <laughs> and then, uh, okay, she walks over them like rain bursts out to behold a greyhound bus shooting light through its sides, it is the signal to go straight down like a glorious diver. Then feet first, her skirt stripped beautifully up, her face in fierce scented clothes, her legs deliriously bare. Then arms out, she slow rolls over, steadies out, waits for something great to take control of her, trembles near feathers, planes head down, the quick movements of bird necks turning her head, gold eyes, the insight, eyesight of owls blazing to the hen coops, a taste for chicken overwhelming her, the long range vision of hawks enlarging all human lights of cars, freight trains, looped bridges, enlarging the moon, racing slowly through all the curves of a river, all the darks of the Midwest blazing from above. 
okay. So for me, the obviously the divers reference um, was cool there. But then also just the likening of her to birds, I thought was super cool, given the entire album of divers. <laughs> yeah, and I love the perspective as she's falling too. Um, I really liked this compared to um, the sky over the ocean, the ocean skirting the city like that. I feel yes. like that thematically made a lot of sense. Um, yes. And just like the mention of all these mundane things. Yeah. Like we're talking about freight trains and Greyhound buses and wanting to taste chicken um, <laughs> at the same time that we're like, having this very slow, very tragic descent, um, I think is a really interesting pairing. Totally. It is. And it's so, it's like these like tastes of life Mm -hmm. that she knows are going to be taken away from her right away. Like she's never going to taste chicken again, you know, like, yeah, these, these like, yeah. As you said, just these mundane sort of tastes of what it is to be alive that you might not notice or you might take for granted um, when you're not plummeting to your death. There's a there's some line later on in the poem where I'm not going to quote it exactly, but where she talks about the farmers who, or sorry, he talks about the farmers who come and find her dead body. Mm. And he describes them something along the lines of like they're oblivious or like they're like... Uh, not thinking or something or like unaware and it made me think that like oh my god look at what everything that you notice and everything that you appreciate and everything that you like how highly attuned your attention is when you're falling to your death Mm -hmm. versus like the mundaneness of just being alive on a farm every day you just like notice less when obviously when you're not falling to your death Yeah, and that's one thing I think he does do really beautifully is he does this, he narrates the process of coming to peace with death and kind of like reflecting on it all in that fall. He does a really beautiful job of bringing in the big and the small and the mundane and the the more difficult things. Um in this one downward movement. Oh, I love how you disc- how you mention like the big and the small because that's I think something that he does so well in this poem and I think it's something that Joanna does so well in this song. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's important to t- for for my understanding at least of the overall themes of the song, um this this contrast between like these huge life questions and these very mundane everyday things we'll come back to that later as we talk about it but I think that um just laying those out as themes now is is a good idea can I do another one yes please and he who jumped without without a shoot and was handed one by a diving buddy she looks for her grinning companion white teeth nowhere She is screaming, singing hymns, her thin human wings spread out from her neat shoulders, the air-based crooning to her, warbling, and she can no longer behold this huge partial form of the world now. She is watching her country lose its evoked master shape, watching it lose and gain, get back its houses and peoples, watching it bring up its local lights, single homes, lamps on barn roofs, 
If she fell into water, she might live, like a diver, cleaving perfect plunge into another heavy silver, unbreathable, slowing, saving element. There is water. There is time to perfect all the fine points of diving. Feet together, toes pointed, hands shaped right, to insert her into water like a needle, to come out healthily dripping and be handed a Coca-Cola. There they are. There are the waters of life. Sam, I had literally the exact verse. <laughs> the exact same verse. Yay. Oh, it's so fucking beautiful. Also, the idea of being like, okay, okay, okay. I might still fall into water and like be okay. Um, like searching for this, some fucking way to surviving this fall. Yeah. And like bracing, bracing for that plunge, right? And how different it is bracing for a plunge into water than to just. And maybe that's just because like diving is something that's familiar, right? Like your body knows what to do. Your body knows how to do that. Um, but if you're, if you're just hitting land, what does your body do? Like what muscle memory, you have no muscle memory of that, right? What do you do? Like, it's not even clear what the ideal position would be. Is there uh, an ideal position? You, there can't no, be. right. You're like, what do you, yeah, exactly. It's so, here's, yeah, it's so inevitable, I was going to say, which is, mm. I think, also maybe an important theme is that like, this seems so tragic and so scary, but like, what are we all doing if not just diving towards our deaths horizontally, <laughs> like across time rather than vertically, right? Like, that's just what we're doing is fucking <laughs> plummeting, <laughs> uh, plummeting across the planes of time to our death in the same way. It's inevitable in the same way. Hopefully it won't hurt as bad, but like probably it, it'll not be pleasant. Yeah. And there's no way to make that landing easier or softer. It's right. just, it's just is. It just is. Um, I also loved in that verse you just read, I loved the, like, get back its houses and peoples, watching it bring up its local lights, single homes, lamps on barn roofs, these little details again mm -hmm. that uh, are like remnants of human lives being lived, sort of oblivious in a sense to death. Like, it's so mundane in contrast with this like urgent fucking emergency uh that's happening in the f the divers um from the divers perspective and again i think it's something that she does in the song too right we have yeah um that height was a honeycomb made of light from those funny homes like that that's where we are we have that perspective as we fall here yes exactly <coughs> exactly that there's something too about the perspective in this song and we'll I think that I'll, I'll at least try to keep this in mind as we go through but there's something that I think Joanna might be telling us about what kind of knowledge and perspective on life you might gain from having this physically different perspective of um, like being up high and seeing everything from that height gives you this new like metaphorical perspective, this new way of thinking about things that I think might be important. Like you're able to see the big picture. Um, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. And, and, and how rare that is. Yeah. Yes, exactly. How rare that is and how we're so on earth enmeshed in our own little lives that we forget what this all looks like um, in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. 
Love that. There, I also had the line just because it's so haunting. Uh, one cannot just fall, just tumble screaming all that time. One must use it. She is now through with all the clouds, damp hair straightened, the last wisp of fog pulled apart on her face like wool, revealing new darks, new progressions of headlights along dirt roads from chaos. So just this like absolutely haunting image of like now there's no cloud. She's like beyond the clouds. She's closer to earth. And now she can see new like she can see the headlights better now because she's closer to them. She can see the dirt roads because she's closer to them. Uh, and then dirt along dirt roads from chaos too. Like we've tried to like make this little orderly society. Like how cute we are, our little ant lives. I don't know. I do in like a really strange way love the descriptions of what her face and her skin and her body is doing as she's falling as like horrifying as that is but the last wisp of fog pulled apart on her face like wool revealing new darks is like no god is it revealing new darks because she's more horrified because she's so close yeah and i just imagine like everything like being so so open and so full of air like yeah Oh, it's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. All right. Th- that's all the lines that I had from the poem. Did you have more? Oh, God. I really do. Okay. Hold on. No, no. That's okay. Like, please. I, this, I think it's such a beautiful poem, mostly. <sighs> For her, the ground is closer. Water is nearer. She passes it, then banks, turns her sleeves, fluttering differently as she rolls out to face the east, where the sun shall come up from wheat, fe- wheat fields. She must do something with water, fly to it, fall in it, drink in it, rise from it. But there is none left upon earth. The clouds have drunk it back. The plants have sucked it down. They are standing They are standing toward her only, the common fields of death. She comes back from flying to falling, returns to a powerful cry, the silent scream with which she blew down. Okay. Also, how did I not copy and paste that one? Because, <laughs> oh, it's so fucking good, man. I, his description of like, now she's not flying, she's falling. Like the idea that yeah. she's engaged in these two different actions, one in which, oh, oh, guess what? I'm going to talk about determinism. How shocking. Yeah. <laughs> we need like that little alarm. Boop, boop, boop. do Determinism time. Um, <laughs> determinism (laughs) corner uh okay so like the description of her as flying or her thinking of herself as flying at one point throughout this fall is just the illusion of self-control you're still plummeting in exactly the same way towards your death you literally have no control but there's this so that might be a commentary on how in life it's also kind of the same thing. We think that we're flying, but the whole time we're just plummeting. We're just fucking falling. And like the, I don't have it in front of me, Sam, but like you had read, like she avoids the water or something. She bends. Is that how he says it? For her, the ground is closer. Water is nearer. She passes it. Then banks turns. Oh, banks. Banks is the thing that I, yeah, she passes it and then banks turn it makes it seem like she really is flying she banks like she like veers and turns away from the water as though it's a choice to actually go towards yeah. the land yeah i didn't think of that i love that but that's not a choice no no and she has no agency she's just falling oh no. yeah she's just falling but she's like 
we're telling ourselves the story that there's yeah. agency there when that's just yes. an illusion. That is like a really beautiful way to think of this too. That no, I'm not falling. I'm flying. And like, okay, yeah. that would be like a comforting thought if you were able to muster it up in that Totally. Moment. A nice story we could tell ourselves to like avoid the the panic that comes from the alternative. Um, Okay, what else you got for us, Sue? Okay, this is, I think, after she's fallen. All those who find her, impressed in the soft loam, gone down, driven well into the image of her body, the furrows for miles flowing in upon her where she lies very deep in her mortal outline, in the earth as it is in cloud, can tell nothing but that she is there, inexplicable, unquestionable, and remember that something broke in them as well, and began to live and die more when they walked for no reason into their fields to where the whole earth caught her, interrupted her maiden flight, <laughs> told her how to lie. She cannot turn away. She cannot turn, go away, cannot move, cannot slide off of it, and assume another position. No skydiver with any grin could save her, hold her in his arms, plummet with her, unfold above her in his wedding skills. She can no longer mark the rain with whirling women that take the place of a dead wife or the goddess and Norwegian farm girls or the all backbreaking whores of Wichita. All the own air, all the known air above her is not giving up quite one breath. It is all gone and not yet dead, not anywhere else. I like the known air above her that she knows this space because she has experienced it. Like, oh, in, like crushing all those who find her impressed in the soft loam driven well into the image of her body like, oh dude it's horrible but like so beautifully written but yeah. oh my god the haunting because you are falling so hard have you like recently sam like i don't know have playing with kids or something <laughs> yeah no but like like, okay, I was playing with my daughter at the park the other day, and I jumped from a thing that is not that high. It was maybe, like, five feet off the ground or something. And I was like, yeah, it's, like, whatever, like, a little. Like, I used to do gymnastics, so I'm, like, way overconfident about what my body can take and, like, how it would feel to just. Fall. So I jumped from this thing that was, like, five feet, and I was like, oh, my God, ow. Like, that hurt my ankles. That hurt my <laughs> knees. Like, it was five fucking feet for as uh uh, to fall from miles and miles up, I, it's unimaginably, you're just accelerating that whole time. It's unimaginably it, hard. Like hurts to think about what that does to your physical body. I was trying in a very gruesome way to think about what the actual cause of death is. Like what physically happens when you mm. fall like that? What kills you? And I was like, it's too horrible to think about. Probably just like your organs turn to actual mush. Like if you throw your heart against a wall hard enough, it's going to squash. Like you can't. We're too delicate. <laughs> There's no landing position okay. that would save us. What's the first cause of death when you fall from a high altitude? Oh, I imagine. Okay. Uh, when falling from a height, what's the first thing that kills you? And the response is, I imagine it'd be yourself as it's your own mass and fragility responsible for the crushing force. Yeah. Okay. Oh, maybe, oh, not hypoxia. Well, yeah. yeah the other thing like, is that... A, just like yeah. trauma. Sorry. Squished. Squished trauma. Yeah. What were you going to say? Sorry. <coughs> no, I'm sorry. Um, What was I going to say? Oh, the other thing was that 
I was describing this to David and he was like, oh my God, I would hope that she would have passed out from the lack of oxygen before having to experience this whole flight. And that's like the one comfort I can take that like maybe this woman didn't actually have this experience as it's so horrifically described in this poem that like, I hope to God that because there's so little air from the height at which she was sucked out of that plane that she just, she passed out from lack of oxygen and then just peacefully fell. Yeah. Or just like from stress or from fear that like you'd hope there'd be some mechanism in your brain that just shuts off that awareness for you. Yeah. This is too scary. I don't know though. We can withstand a whole lot of shitty trauma, which makes me think that we don't just shut off, but I don't know. Maybe I hope, I hope. Okay. This is the last thing I'll read. This is the last verse. One shoe, her girdle coming down fantastically on a clothesline, where it belongs, her blouse on a lightning rod, lies in the fields, in this field, on her broken back as though on a cloud she cannot drop through, while farmers sleepwalk without their women from houses, a walk like falling towards the far waters of life, in moonlight, towards the dreamed eternal meeting of their farms, toward the flowering of the harvest in their hands, that tragic cost, feels herself go, go toward, go outward, Breathes at last, fully not, and tries less once. Tries, tries. Ah, God. Oh, Oh, it's so heartbreaking, man. Oh, my God. Here's the thing, too. There's several things that you read, which make me... I'm like, how are you not making a feminist commentary, you sexist man? Like, it sounds like he's making feminist commentary when he says stuff like she can't move anymore like she can't like the in the last thing that you read like she couldn't turn she couldn't she's like like physically immobilized I don't know there's something about that that just read as feminist to me and then here when he's talking about like farmers come without their wives because like wives are bound to Mm -hmm. their own like Mm -hmm. domestic work and men get to go out and do the exploring as we've talked about it just seems a bit feministy I don't know um but I, I suppose it's not given what we know about the author in any case. Yeah, that's another horrifying. thing. The author himself um, seems like maybe quite a troubled person and like not a good person. I didn't read a lot about him, but I know that in, let me open the Wikipedia here. Um, there was some article and I'm not going to find it now, but it was about, it was by his son. Um, mm. And it was like a perspective on growing up with uh, James L. Dickey as your father and it wasn't especially flattering um, so just keep that in mind too I guess. This is where he, he was an alcoholic right? Yeah and Was he abusive? I don't, I didn't read Okay, it's okay you don't see. have to if you didn't Yeah, so an interesting person but perhaps not like um, a role model Right You know Oh, but sorry, before we stop talking about this poem, um, I just wanted to le- to read Melissa's take too. Um, oh, yeah. Because I think she had a really good feminist perspective on it. So in mm-hmm. that Blessing Are the Birds article, um, Delving into Divers of Pinlight Bend, <clears throat> Melissa says, Diggy envisions her undressing and then seeking a sexual union and marriage with the soil into which she falls, naked for the farmers who find her to, g- to gaze upon her. 
Newsom's narrator rather emphasizes the philosophical thoughts of such a fatal descent. The narrator defines a similar inspiration to Dickey, what are the final thoughts of someone facing a strange and inevitable death, and challenges it. She honors the thoughts of a woman about to die with metaphysical concerns. While researching Falling, I came across a, fro a quote from Mary Ellman about Dickey's description of um, the stewardess that I think best synthesizes the overall gender politics of the poem. The poem mourns a vagina rather than a person crashing to the ground. Um, so I think that's interesting. And another point that Melissa made was that, and I found this in my research too, that looking up her story, her name was never the first thing mentioned. She was always referred to as um, someone who had a tragic death or the stewardess. Um but that she is not explicitly named in this song. And someone like John Poray Mitchell, who has a similar-ish story, is. Um, Melissa just like wondered about the intentionality of that and what that might mean in the context of the album and the song and, you know, all of that. Right, yeah. So she was saying that, like, look, like, Joanna herself names John Poray Mitchell, whereas both... Dickie and Joanna fail to name Françoise de Marrière. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's because she was afraid to pronounce it too. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I'm in that same boat, so yes. But um, yeah, and so, so Melissa, I think, was very uh, astutely questioning, like, how should we interpret this? Is this Joanna reflecting reality and reflecting the, um, and like conveying to us, like, look, women don't get named and this is just mm -hmm. like how it is. She's just a nameless flight attendant. Whereas John Perry Mitchell is, um, in history is named and remembered by name instead of just mm -hmm. like as a stewardess. Um, or Melissa was saying, is Joanna perpetuating this same sort of like quote unquote crime? Like, is she, is she, uh, I don't want to say like unintentionally, but is she sort of uh, in the wrong for doing this? And and uh, is it the case that she should have been named in Joanna's song? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that that was a, a good question to ask. Uh, my own take on it is that it's a, maybe it is too charitable, but like that it is a reflection on reality. And it is just in line with what we've seen on this album of women being forgotten, being somewhat interchangeable. Um, and I think that, you know how in you, when you read that New York Times article, you had said that, like, was it like two or three other flight attendants had the same mm -hmm. fucking fate? And they're that, unnamed. Like, and they're unnamed. So we never know. There's never any specific mentions or references to, like, Kansas or Françoise de Marrière. And it mm -hmm. could be a commentary on how this is again, not a singular experience. It's not an experience that is unique to one woman in particular that this has happened. And that, um, I don't know, just that like several women have the same fate seems to be in keeping with a lot of the themes on this album of repeated lives and repeated experiences and like cyclicalness. Uh, so I choose to interpret it that way just because I think that that giving Joanna the bene the benefit of the doubt on particularly gender issues um, in this album is my default. I just pulled up the the um, newspaper article. Um, 
I just wanted to see like when are their names mentioned. So I'm referencing um, the New York Tribune article that we talked about in Sapaconigan, right? Episode. I'm sure we read from it there, but um, the article about um, John Pori Mitchell. So that the the title of this article is Mitchell killed by fall from arrow safety belt loose. And then the first line in the article is his name. Major John Pori Mitchell, former mayor of New York City, was killed instantly today when he fell 500 feet from a single seater scout plane. Yeah. And then the article we just read is titled Stewardess is Swept Through Plane Door. And the first line is a 29-year-old stewardess fell 1,500 feet to her death. Yeah. And then her name isn't mentioned until they talk about her body two paragraphs later. So just yeah. an interesting direct comparison there. And like you might think, well, look, it's because John Pre Mitchell was famous. He was the mayor. And so like they can reference who that is and it would make sense to people who were familiar with the, the mayor of New York City. But I think that that's just pushing the buck back an extra step like yeah the point is that he was able to get famous the point is mm -hmm. that men mm -hmm. have these jobs where they're visible and looked at and regarded as important and noted in history and women are mm -hmm. quote-unquote stewardesses right like yeah. um they do the menial work the uncredited work the unglamorized work uh and get remembered not for their names but for their if if at all for their service yeah, even the woman who was who was in the washroom when the door blew open, her her name is mentioned, I guess, um, but only in the context that two people saved her, two, two men, men saved like her. Specifically says, yeah, two yeah. men passengers. Okay, so is that all we have to say about the poem? I think that's enough. <laughs> all right, I think that's probably enough too. Um, so, Sam, for once in our lives, this is a clean cut. It's an hour. Let's just say our goodbyes for this episode okay. here and then do an intro. And then I have so much less editing to do, uh, if that's Great. okay with you. Yeah, All right. let's make your life easy. All right. So, guess what, guys? That's the end. That's part one of uh, A Pin Light Bent. We're so excited about this song. We hope you are, too. We hope you join us next week for part two. Uh, also email us your shit because you yeah. have some time to get in especially god tell us all your thoughts and theories about a pin light bent and time is a symptom this shit's complicated don't leave us hanging our email is a hopeless endeavor at gmail.com we have a facebook group a hopeless endeavor journeys and podcast sam does such a good job running our instagram with all sorts of fun links and cool diddly dads so i'll let her say it here <laughs> Our Instagram is a hopeless endeavor podcast. Um, if you love this poem, hate this poem, read through it once and had big feelings, please let us know what you think. Even just like a sentence, a, a color, whatever it makes you feel. We'd love to hear that. Um, what else do we have? Patreon. 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 Check out our Patreon. There we have early episode releases and bonus episodes. Um, I will link to it in the show notes, but it's also just a hopeless endeavor. No, no. I always fucking do that. It's patreon.com Patreon. slash a hopeless endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. You can Google it though. If you Google it, you you'll find it. Yeah. You'll find it. You guys us. are savvy. Yeah. All right. So that's it for now. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for being here. Bye. <laughs>